0: Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Steuer, and I'm the host of The Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name and certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit the OrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. that are vegans or are following the things that are going on in social media, it's Meatless Monday. What a better way to celebrate than with someone like Kim O'Donnell as she discusses her latest collection of mouth-watering recipes in her book called The Meat Lover's Meatless Celebrations, year-round vegetarian feast you can really sink your teeth into. This book, I have to say, is coming at such a perfect time in my life, especially since I've had such a hateful relationship with tofu, and there's, in my opinion, only so many things that you can do with tofu to make it palatable, especially if you need the protein in your diet, which we all do. It's important to keep it interesting. It's important to do things that make you want to enjoy the meal as you would when you were consuming meat if you have made the transition, or just to make the meals enjoyable, and also meals that you want to be able to share with your family, with friends, and even with colleagues. So I think for those of you that are not vegans, that are looking at different options that are healthier, also are gluten-free, I think you're going to enjoy everything that she's written in her book, The Meat Lovers Meatless Celebrations. So I would like to welcome to
1: the show Kim O'Donnell. Hey, how are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being on the show today. I tell you, the recipes that you put together are just fantastic. I love so many of these recipes, and one in particular, the pumpkin pudding with molasses cookies. Mm. It's such a great recipe. I wish I had pumpkins that were growing in the garden right now so that I could make this. So now I'm going to see if I can find pumpkin. Can I use frozen pumpkin for this recipe?
1: You could. The only thing I would say about the frozen pumpkin is to make sure that you drain it really well um, after it thaws. Something that a lot of us don't think about after we freeze fruit and some vegetables is that there's going to be some water release. So that would be the only thing I'd think about. Otherwise, you'd be good to go.
0: Thank you. I will definitely do that. Uh, Before we get into my list of questions for you, can you tell our audience about yourself and What made you decide to write this particular book?
1: Sure. This is my second book. Uh, My first book came out in the fall of 2010, and that's called The Meat Lovers, Meatless Cookbook. And they are connected. Uh, They obviously both have the same prefix, Meat Lovers, Meatless. And I will say right off the top, is that I'm not 100% vegetarian. And I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I will tell you that I went from being a daily meat eater, like so many other Americans, to now about 70% vegetarian. And this has been done in a very incremental fashion over the last five years. Um, I I, I have a history of family heart disease. And my um, both my father and my grandmother died of heart attacks at a very young age, and so this idea of cholesterol, lipid profiles, all that kind of stuff was um, came to our attention when I was just 16, and but it was in the 80s when all that was happening, and so the medical advice at that point was, you know, sort of switch around your saturated fats, not really get rid of them. So. I'll give you a couple of examples, like instead of butter, it would be margarine um instead of whole milk, it'd be skim, you know, no more bologna sandwiches, but oh, you can have roast turkey, but no never a conversation about oh, maybe you ought to eat more vegetables or whole yeah. grains or or I didn't know what a legume was, you know, so um that was sort of the p- approach. And it felt kind of punitive because we were told oh well you can't have bacon and eggs anymore you know no more ice cream and so again never a conversation about moderation so anyway flash forward into my 30s i um, was i had gone to cooking school i was working at the washington post um writing um a a daily food column for them on their website and um, I, you know, with all my experience and background, I still was never really putting my health first. It was more experiential and, hey, I'll try this and share it with my readers. And my cholesterol and lipid levels were really very much like a roller coaster, and I knew I needed to get consistent. And it wasn't a problem so much about not liking vegetables, but kind of getting getting sort of on the stick And around, it was very early in 2008, and I had found out about this public health campaign called Meatless Monday. And at that point, it was still very much a fledgling nonprofit that very few people knew about, kind of in academic circles. It started out in the year 2003, and the idea at that point was to help Americans reduce their saturated fat intake by 15% by the year 2010. And the way they looked at it was daily meat eaters, if you take one day off from meat, you're giving your body – the, well, they, at that point, they were only talking about health. They weren't talking about the environment. So, hmm. Take one day off, you are giving your body 15% reduction. And I thought, wow well, that's easy. Win-win, right? So I thought that was pretty interesting. I knew that that was something I could do. And so I shared this idea with my readers and everyone was pretty enthusiastic, but they said to me, we don't want philosophy. We don't want a debate. We want tools. And that is really what spurred me on to start featuring a meatless recipe feature in my column, and I actually was the first Meatless Monday blogger wow. on record, and what was interesting about it is that I, um, I really enjoyed it. You know, it got me on the stick, it got my husband on the stick, but I was now accountable to my readers, and I got them involved, so it, was, it got me consistent, and I, it wasn't a chore, and so within a few months, one day off from me, it became two days off from me. And as a chef, it opened me up. Culinarily, I started to play dabble in other cuisines. So okay, so this fueled, fueled the fire for my first book. And the first book essentially is a different menu for every week of the year. If you wanted to put this idea into practice, all four seasons, cooking where you know based on wherever you live and taking a day off and very much like everyday style cooking. So the new book is what I think of as like 2.0, meaning what I discovered was okay, it was easy for us to do this every, you know, on an everyday basis at home. But when it came to entertaining and having friends over or any of the major holidays, I kind of found myself falling back into what I call my roast beast comfort zone. (laughs) And I think we could all relate to that. You know, what's Thanksgiving without the turkey? You know, the Christmas ham or the duck. Um, You know, St. Patty's Day with the corned beef and the cabbage. And I thought, well, geez, you know, why couldn't we put on all these wonderful why can't we do all these wonderful occasions without the rose bees? And that's what set me on course to put together the new collection. It's kind of a long story, but I um, wanted to sort of give some context here. And so the new book is, has 26 different menus for all kinds of happy moments in our lives, from Thanksgiving to Fourth of July to, you know, um, Mardi Gras, which we just celebrated, Um, you know, Mother's Day, all the fun things. And the desserts, there are actually desserts in this book, as you mentioned, the pumpkin pudding, have some kind of healthful tweak to them. Sometimes they're vegan, sometimes they're not. And that sort of brings me to this whole thing is that in making this food and developing the recipes, delicious first, meatless second. You know, I didn't want to have anything sort of gratuitously meatless just to fill in the gaps in my book.
0: Well, what I admire about your recipes is the fact that the recipes consist of foods that you actually either you can grow yourself or mm-hmm. they're completely unprocessed. You really make the person who's preparing the particular recipe reconnect with that food. So in other words, there's no nothing processed in there. It's a list of, or it's a collection of different recipes where you're using really great ingredients that work together to produce a really fantastic result. And well, that's you. what I admire because there are a lot of vegan books out there that will encourage you to use this, that, the other thing, and it's all processed stuff that you buy at the market. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big supporter of preparing food like that I appreciate people such as yourself that say well you know what you need you know this this and this in for the recipe and this is how you prepare it and Mm -hmm. the beauty of it is a lot of these foods can be foods that you grow in your own garden and have preserved and you also are an expert on canning and preserves
1: Yeah, I'm not a master preserver. I haven't gotten that route yet, you know, as as far as, like, uh, getting my certificate. But um, in 2000, I I, I live, as you mentioned, I live in Seattle, um, but had lived on the East Coast for many years. I'm originally from the Philadelphia area and lived in Washington, D.C. for many, many years. And four and a half years ago, my husband and I moved to Seattle. And, you know, knowing very few people here... Um, I got on Twitter and started to meet folks um, in my new neighborhood, um, particularly interested in folks in in the food community. And it was 2009, and I had heard about this cool canning project happening in the Bay Area called Yes, We Can. And what they were doing was every month, they would have a canning class for the community featuring one ingredient. So it would be like, okay, hey, this week we're, you know, this month we're doing cucumbers, cucumbers only. And then the next class would be tomatoes, if, you know, the tomatoes were in. And I just liked it. it for whatever reason, it really appealed to me. And, for, I thought, well, what the heck, let me just see who else is out there who's interested in getting more skilled in, in canning. And I had only done it once at that point, and it was not, um, I would not call it the most successful endeavor. We drank a lot of wine and listened to Donna's <laughs> summer records, but, you know, um, we had a lot to learn, you know, and um Anyway, so I just said something to the effect like, hey, who's interested in learning how to can? Look at this cool project that's going on. And I've got to tell you, June, I had – careful what you wish for because people were coming out of the woodwork. And all of a sudden, I've got people from all over the country saying, yeah, I want to learn how to can. What are you thinking about? And there was so much interest, not just in Seattle, but – around you know all across the country that we decided this group of us in Seattle we decided to meet in person how what do you think about that digital you know social media we finally meet in real life and we realized that we had something here and I kept envisioning sort of a simultaneous show of cans if you will so I was thinking, what if we had a day or series of days where people around the country were simultaneously canning, putting up their own food, wherever they live, whether they were having a home canning party or they were teaching someone else how to cook. And so that's kind of how canning across America was, was formed. And we still look, of it, look at it as a collective of food lovers, um, gardeners, cooks folks from all walks of life who are interested in sort of preserving this lost art of putting up food. And it's mainly peer-to-peer teaching. You know, we're really stressing, you know, safe home food preservation, not doing anything too wacky, and, um, you know, connecting with our own food shed, whether we grow it or we're working with the local farmers. So, um, canning is a big part of my life now. I can't imagine it any other way. And um, I knew in the new book I was going to have to put some, you know, a, a mini preserving section in there because it's been integrated into the stuff that I do.
0: It's so incredibly important, Kim. And thank you so much for doing that. At this particular point, so many Americans are frustrated because we do not have labeling of GMOs in our food Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people know that okay well the big agrochemical giants Mm -hmm. are not they're going to do whatever they have to to see to it that they uh can keep us in the dark for as long as they can so really the only solution is to grow your own food preserve it and make that connection directly i mean there are some really great certified organic non-GMO companies out there mm-hmm. uh, like Eden Foods and Nature's Path I think the world of both Michael Potter and Aaron Stevens really mm-hmm. two fantastic people that really walk the walk or talk the talk and walk the walk but mm-hmm. when it comes to our food in general it's getting to the point where it's it's ridiculous and the only solution is to grow your own food preserve it and follow recipes such as This collection of recipes in the Meat Lovers Meatless Celebrations and take the matter into your own hands so that you can understand what you're putting into your body, what you're putting into your family's body, and also look at it from the economic perspective that this is something that we really need to do in order to have healthier lives, but also to have accountability for what's going on with the food that we use. Mm -hmm. And so what you're doing is very important. And, you know, not everybody has a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle or even a parent that knows how to can. So I think the whole concept of a peer-to-peer type situation is fantastic. And even with the way that your classes were conducted where you did all tomatoes.
1: I mean, Mm -hmm. let's face it, when
0: you grow tomatoes and they're ripe, it's not like you have one tomato. You usually have more right. and you know what to do with. So that's I think right. that, that was smart. As far as whoever organized the activities, uh, they they understood. They understood it, uh, gardening.
1: Mm-hmm. And the same thing with
0: cucumbers. I mean, how much how many things can you really do with cucumbers? But you know, you'd be surprised. I mean, that's why the innovation in the recipes, and sometimes it's an old recipe that's been in the family and. You just make it a little bit more modern so that it's, you're not making you know an army load of whatever the recipe calls for, but mm-hmm. that's something that is suitable for your own personal needs or for your family's needs. So I think what you're doing is really in tune at the right time, right place with what's going on with the food movement, the organic food move, movement in America uh, at this particular time.
1: Well, canning and preserving is one way of connecting. You know, you it's it's pretty hard to can by yourself. I mean, one, it's not that fun because it's a bit of an octopus. It's kind of a multifaceted um, you know, kitchen project.
0: And you don't want to drink alone.
1: And you don't want to drink alone. <laughs> but seriously, it's it it's it it gets you there there's so many wonderful things about it. I mean, I think about it as sort of meditation in an interesting sort of way i mean yes it connects you with the seasons and your local food shed, whether you're growing the food or whether you're going to your farmer's market or you're getting, you know, a CSA box, it's connecting you with that. But it also forces you to um, slow down a little bit. You know, we're always in a rush, right? And canning, you know, you need to block out three hours. There's just no way to make shortcuts on that. And so it means putting down that electronic device and focusing uh caring's not hard, but it does require your undivided attention hey, and I so I know how about that and so i i want that's one of the things that I love about it is that you've got to slow down, and you you're focusing on the food and you're focusing on the community because you're working with somebody else, you're maybe catching up on each other's lives. Um, what's happening, and you are together creating something out of that. So there is truly fruit of your labor, and you get to share it. I mean, it's not, it doesn't get much better than that. And, you know, I have um, – you know, jars, I, I'll just tell you a quick story. I um, got to know a farming, farming couple at my local farmer's market here in Seattle. We're really lucky because, you know, it, it, I think there's not, there might be one day in the week when we don't have a farmer's market going in the growing season, and it's pretty incredible. And I know in the New York area it's much like that. Um so anyway, I got to know this couple. There were these major forest fires in the central part of the state last summer. It was August, and it was obviously due to the drought, climate change, all of that. And they lost um, their house on the property, wow. and um, they they were able to save the farm, but they, you know, were basically sleeping on the floor in their office and she was four months pregnant at the time. You know, wow. this just about broke my heart. And, you know, it was interesting because I liked them very much, but, you know, it was, it was and I relied on them for certain things. I really liked their peppers and their, um, their cucumbers, and then they were getting these tomatoes to come in. But what happened at that moment when I found out, about the fire is that the two of us the guy the husband and i connected and i thought you know i'm not going to write this guy a check for the fire fund i'm going to buy his food because he needs to pay his bills and he in turn taught me about a Czech heirloom tomato called the Stupas that he said was great for making tomato sauce so we 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 taught each other something. We gave each other something. And I made at least 20 quarts of his sauce. And I guess I thought about him and his wife the whole time. You know, so, and then I got to share the story with the friends that were making the sauce with me that August. So it can really be about these connections you know, when you do preserve. there's just There are wonderful stories and moments that come out of that. And I have been, you know, we use a couple quarts of that sauce a month in, in my cooking. You know, I'm getting sad because the stock is getting low, you know, and it's <laughs> still late February. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that can come about when you preserve. And I think, you know, when you talk about growing your own food and I think – you know, it is an ideal. I mean, you know, I I have a container garden. I um, would love to be able to grow more of my food. But I think what I would say to folks um, is that do what you can do. Pick Take one thing. You know, if it's growing a pot of herbs, or three pots of herbs. Do that. You know, you're right. It's about this connection, and it's the empowerment that happens when you get involved. When we stay passive, we stay out of the kitchen. We don't grow anything. We don't put up something that's seasonal. We, are, we remain in that very passive role, and so we stay disconnected from all that's going on, and there's way too many serious things happening in the food system. It's absolutely imperative for us to at least dip our toe in and get involved in this way and it can be voting by just getting into the kitchen
0: yeah i mean ken the way that you wrote this book it was so beautiful you really can tell that this is straight from your heart it's not something that's fabricated or assembled uh as many books about plant-based or that feature plant-based recipes often are Your book really comes straight from the heart. You talk about what you need. Here's what you do. The pictures are just fantastic. And these are all recipes that are also kid-friendly. You can make these together as a family. And I think when you do cook together and this, this quality time that you're spending together, you have that exchange. And also to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor and to be able to say, okay, well, you know, we grew this in the garden and mm-hmm. we're using this, this, and this. And then if you do it together with other families or if you're working together with some friends, mm-hmm. what I always have appreciated is when I have friends that grow different th- things and then we decide mm-hmm. that we're going to can or preserve, you know, specific things together,
1: it's mm-hmm. nice to get
0: that little bit of um, a mixture, if you will, especially oh, sure. in their garden.
1: Oh, yeah, that's fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are tons of ways for folks to connect in. And I'd say, I'd even say to somebody who, you know, even with cooking, you know, if you find yourself overwhelmed, start with one day a week to cook a home, a, a home meal. You know, start there. Then move in that direction. I mean, cooking is contagious. You know, there's all these wonderful things that happen and unfold when you're in the kitchen, and um, you know it doesn't matter if there's one of you or five of you or something in between. Um, you know, you're not just nourishing yourself; you're nourishing your soul. You're all—all all these wonderful conversations come about. You learn new things and you connect the dots. And you know, I, I get frustrated when I hear people tell me that they don't have time to cook, but they have time to watch television or get on, you know, on the web or, you know, and there is, we can, we need to make the time. And if we set aside one hour or we find a way in our schedule to do it on the weekend so that we are reheating and repurposing homemade food, um, throughout the week, um, you know, That's going to make you feel better. It's going to make you feel empowered too. And I always say just start gradually because eventually you'll be cooking a whole lot more than you were. I mean, you know, this past summer, economic, um, health, knowing what goes into your food. You know, I, um, this summer, my mother was visiting me from. the philadelphia area and she came out for a visit and she noticed that i had granola in the cabinet and she said you know she was pouring making some for breakfast and she's wow this is really good and i said well that's my homemade granola i have a recipe for granola in the new book and she said wow how difficult is this it's not difficult at all and so um I sent her the recipe so she could make it when she got home. And she two weeks later, she called me, and she was so excited because she made her own batch of granola. Now, that may seem like old hat for folks who are already, you know, very skilled in the kitchen, but this was a huge moment for my mom because what happened was now, was she proud of herself, and it tasted good, and she had this new treat for breakfast? She lives with a man who would rather have sausage links for breakfast. Mm. He now started eating the granola. But the other part that was just, I loved, is that she started to notice, well, I can buy my oats in the bulk section, and they're going to cost this versus buying them in the bag. And, wow, did you ever notice how much prepackaged granola costs? And, oh, I'm going to switch out the raisins for dried cranberries and all these wonderful things. So it's just connecting the dots just by making a little batch of granola. And, you know, we all can do that. We have, need to brush ourselves off. You know, just making something simple can really kind of change your tune.
0: And it always tastes so much better. You you've done this with a number of your recipes. I just want to ask you quickly about your carrot fennel soup. It's interesting. This is what you – if it's okay, I want to read this to the audience. Oh, sure. You wrote, I love the idea of carrot soup, but I'm usually disappointed by watery, one-dimensional orange broth. With the addition of fennel, the soup doesn't scream fennel. Rather, it adds depth of flavor, and the lone sweet potato is there for the body. The fennel seed topper is really – is a really nice surprise and pulls all of the flavors together. I couldn't agree more. The fact of the matter is is that when you purchase the ready-to-eat or heat-and-serve type soups, it's always watery.
1: And mm-hmm. I'm so
0: grateful that you wrote your own personal thoughts for this recipe
1: mm-hmm.
0: and also provided such an amazing recipe. I mean, fennel is is delicious but once again depends upon what you're using it in because it is overpowering
1: yeah yeah and i wanted to make soups i'm a big believer you know you can make all these wonderful vegetable purees and not have to add dairy cream there's no reason to i mean it does give a voluptuous feel to it but i i just find it to be unnecessarily rich and so adding a sweet potato to that soup gives it all the lovely body that you ever, you, you wouldn't even know. And it's something you might already have, you know, in the crisper or in the, you know, stored somewhere. And, um, and then you're getting even more beta carotene and more loveliness. So it's fun to play around. And um, the toasted fennel seeds are wonderful at the end. It just gives it that extra little, flavor zip so it's not hard and you can get those ingredients at your supermarket no problem and um off you go
0: Kim, it has been wonderful talking to you about all the things that you've not only learned but are doing, especially with your own fan base. Could you please share with our audience your website?
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, my website is KimO'Donnell.com.
0: Kim, thank you so much. And, folks, thank you for tuning in. This has been June Steuer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone.